Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, who runs Strength Guild and Powerlifter Highland Games athlete. Jeez, just always busy. Nice. Killing goats over there. Yep. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute. Actually, now a associate professor at the Kerrig Institute. So, pretty excited about that. Sweet. I uh, created the Flex Diet Cert and a bunch of other stuff, and still at home for the longest time in four years. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, everybody. I will not be remiss, and I will tell you our topic after the break is essentially going to be starting a new training cycle. So um, people are talking about emerging from their homes, and whether you agree or not, uh, we'll just talk about maybe some tips to do it safely or, you know, how would you get back to it, right? I mean, if I, we were just saying before we hit the record button, I mean, I personally, if I was 25 years old, I'd be chomping at the bit like I can't just sit around and waste a year or two of my competitive prime. Um, how am I going to start my next serious training cycle? Once they open gyms again and, and that kind of stuff. So that's what it's about. Starting new uh, training cycle. We have mail and news. First, though, uh, this first one is mail. This is from Ed. It says, definitely above my pay grade, though you might enjoy, uh, and if suitable, discuss on Iron Radio. Be well and be safe, Ed. So this is actually what he sent was a research summary from Greg Knuckles. And it was on a paper by Bjornsson in 2018, and the full study's name is a real mouthful, but I'm going to give it to you for you nerds who want to go look, but uh, delayed myonuclear addition, myofiber hypertrophy, and increases in strength with high-frequency, low-load, blood-flow-restricted training to volitional fatigue or volitional failure. So uh, essentially, it's it's some evidence. They're trying to find some evidence here for delayed growth. We've talked before about don't freak out like, you know, um, sometimes strength and size games, they, they feel delayed, right, after training and that kind of thing. They don't just shut off, you know, visibly within a couple of days of, of stopping training and that kind of thing. So the key word here, I think, is delayed. So it basically says they had subjects complete two blocks of high-frequency blood flow restriction training with 10 days between the blocks. Long story short here, and again, this is just uh, Greg's summary. 
muscle fiber cross-sectional area decreased at first and then increased until at least 10 days after the last session was completed. Maximal knee extension strength increased until at least 20 days after the last session was completed. So again, this idea that you get on a cellular level, you know, size or strength gains. Now this whole 10 days thing, okay, I guess. I mean, when you're looking at, I'm not that experienced with, you know, uh, single fiber cross-sectional area kinds of things. Um, Closest I ever got was like MRI kinds of things, but um, the timeframes here seem very brief to me. But again, the idea here is that there's delayed strength and size gains. And then uh, number three, this again is a little bit of a question mark for me personally, but muscle fiber cross-sectional area, it it didn't change in parallel with whole muscle size. So Hmm. um, different patterns of adaptation apparently. It makes me wonder about, like, some of these things that are just 10 days, could that be hydration? Or when you do single-fiber studies, can you actually see uh, meaningful, you know, like protein synthetic growth um, enough to actually see? Um, I don't know. It, to me, it leaves a couple of questions, but I, it is an interesting study, Ed, about the delayed nature of this stuff, you know, how you'll continue to grow. I mean, I don't think it's going to surprise any of the three of us. The weight training is the stimulus, Right, the growth is then a, is going to be subsequent to that. That that sort of compensation. Your it's almost like your muscles say, "I don't know what you just did to me, but you're not doing that again." You know, and then you, you yeah. grow. I was thinking of it as the the adaptation can't ever really be stopped, but you can definitely do things to play around with the time course. So, I'd, you know, similar to this study, I'd love to see a study that you know kind of give a pretty hefty stimulus to people and had one group do quote, good recovery and one group do poor recovery, but have a long enough time period that they measure them. And it'd be interesting to see if they both got to similar points, but just maybe the amount of time it took the, quote, poor recovery people took longer. I don't know. That's something I've always kind of wondered about. Yeah. And, you know, they're always using knee extension in these studies. I know why they do that, basically. But, I mean, that has I I would guess that has very little... interest for phil's crew you know let's all go do quad extensions you know i mean maybe as some kind of supportive injury prevention or something but i don't know um yeah and also the measurements on there too there's a a great review in uh frontiers of physiology 2019 from han h-a-u-n uh critical evaluation of biological construct skeletal muscle hypertrophy and mm-hmm. he does a really good job of reviewing, you know, are we looking at uh, whole body size? Or if we are, what are we looking at? Are we doing MRI? Are we trying to do whole body composition, like bod pod, underwater weighing? Are we looking at fiber types? And he pulled up a lot of the different studies where they've done, you know, multiple methods to look at it. And they don't always agree with each other either. Mm. Uh, so that makes it interesting of... Maybe there's some type of order that we're not seeing. Maybe if the fibers are getting a little bit bigger, but it's not enough to detect even on an MRI at a whole body level. How much size do you need for the fibers to then show up? Or are we looking at different things and measurement error? And yeah, so it's when you go down in the weeds, it gets more complicated than what you would imagine at face value. It does. I mean, in the gym, it's like, I'm bigger, bro. 
you know, um, or the scale (laughs) moves. But, yeah, I mean, the physiologists, you know, they'll tell you it's not about testosterone. It's not about insulin. I mean, as far as, you know, literal, like, protein synthesis and – Synthetic response. Yeah, yeah, and it's like – but, you know, then the the lay guy says, well, I watched this dude uh, increase his T levels, usually, you know, super physiologically, of course – or got, yeah. they watch guys abuse insulin and that kind of stuff, and these guys get gigantic. So within a physiologic range, it's not the same thing as the pharmaceutical range, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sure when people started abusing anabolics, they didn't just say, oh, you've got to go super physiologic. I mean, for them, it was just men are more muscly than women. Let's try some of that hormone, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the delay, Phil? Does that surprise you at all that there's like this uh, – 10 to 20 day delay in size and strength that just continues to go up? Yeah. I don't think it's surprising. I mean, <laughs> sadly, I mean, we all know that everything takes time. Most yeah. people don't want to hear that, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's just it's the whole discipline over motivation thing. I mean, it's just sticking to it and it's all about being consistent. That's really when it comes down to it. Making great gains is about being disciplined and, and consistent and just coming in all the time. Mm-hmm. It's slowly going to happen. So, Yeah, on a day-in and day-out basis, I guess what I'm getting at is, I mean, you guys taper on some level, right? I, yeah. I mean, how do you do a taper before a meet? Like, you're not going to panic like, oh, my God, this we better compete the day after we do our last yeah. heavy doubles. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. So I mean, you're kind of playing that things out, but yeah. I mean. Yeah. No, I mean – that's like with any of my people, we're, our work is done four weeks out. From that point on, it's just realizing strength. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the, the strength gains are, are, that you're going to show at the meet were done much earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's those last few weeks are just, just had learning to realize it. So yeah, get recovered. Yeah, the bulk of the gains are, are complete. The, I guess the neat thing yeah. about this study, it suggests there, there might be just that extra – Half a percent that still happens even during the taper. Like you're actually yeah. continuing to grow, you know, bigger yeah. and stronger. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. And it's also very nonlinear, too. I'm, I'm sure both of you guys can speak to this, even without a taper, how you're just kind of doing one lift. It's going well. It's okay. It's okay. And all of a sudden, one day, you're like, holy crap, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where'd that come from? Yeah. Oh, it's probably from all the other work I put in, but. As humans, we think that it's going to be this, oh, I'm just going to add two pounds or five pounds yeah. to my bench press each week, and yeah. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> right, yeah. This is very Sad. easy for me to think about as a bodybuilder because all of the work as far as size has been completed long before. <laughs> you oh, know? yeah. So, but, th- but then the huge difference is, and it's why we've debated whether bodybuilding is a traditional sport, of course, is because there's no, there's no real performance as far as the day of the event, like there's not some amount of weight you have to move or a height you have to clear or a time you have to make. I mean, even opposing routine, people argue about that. I'm like, yeah, that's un- sadly it's lost a huge amount of its impact as far as the judges go. You know, you'd like to believe that it counts. You'd like to think that Frank Zane and Lee Labrada were right, but mm, I don't, I don't mm. know if that's the way things have evolved. <laughs> yeah. Have evolved. Uh, this next one I found interesting, and a lot of our listeners, if you're keto or you like coconut fat, this might interest you. It certainly piqued my interest. Strength and Muscle Sport News. 
Researchers think coconut oil may help treat COVID-19 patients. Uh, let's see. This mm. is from the Institute of Food Technologists. This is brand new. Uh, a group of scientists believe one potential treatment for the virus is already found in the grocery store shelves, virgin coconut oil. And let me just read a few things here. Clinical trials are currently underway at hospitals in the Philippines. Uh, there's a hospital-based component and a community-based one. Uh, let's see here. In the hospital study, virgin coconut oil and omega-3 uh, adjunctive therapy for hospital patients with COVID-19. In other words, they're doing this in addition to the meds. I mean, they're not going to do this instead of the meds, I'm guessing. Um, but sort of uh, as this, you know, adjunctive therapy uh, it, underway at the Philippine General Hospital uh, on patients with moderate to severe COVID-19. I mean, they're right in the middle of it. Uh, and again, in addition to the drugs, uh, Fabian Dayrit, D-A-Y-R-I-T. He's a chem professor at uh, Ateneo de Manila University in the Philippines. He says coconut oil is a unique vegetable oil in that it has a high proportion of lauric acid. And you guys have heard us go nerd out about that before. Uh, no other widely consumed vegetable oil has this, explains Dayrit. When ingested, uh, uh, the body's lipase enzymes essentially act on these fats, these you know short-chain fats, uh, or medium-chain, rather, to release metabolites, which are active compounds, namely monolaurin and lauric acid. Monolaurin, if you're not familiar, that's been used in the food industry. It's an emulsifier. Uh, it's sort of a preservative, like antibacterial preservative. But this article says also has a property of being able to destroy the membrane of lipid-coated viruses. And we're familiar by now. I think a lot of us that, that um, what the SARS-CoV-2 uh, is a lipid-coated type virus. And so anyway, the antiviral activities of lauric acid and monolaurin were first noted all the way back in 1979, later in 1982. So I've heard before that coconut oil has you know preservative type qualities and it looks like it's against bacteria and viruses and then of course the reason for the virgin coconut oil it's going to range this says from 45 to 53 percent of the total fatty acids are lauric acid so i've got coconut oil in my cupboards um i've got some straight mct oil too which is usually a mix of some of these mcts but um they just say there's just a ton of volumes of anecdotal evidence for coconuts used against viruses, I guess. So uh, we're not, I'm not telling everybody, you know, oh, just go do this instead of going to the hospital. That's, that's asinine. But it's interesting to note that some of the things that we eat, and also if you notice, they snuck in that, not just coconut, but the omega-3 stuff. And, you know, Mike and I were already talking about that recently. So I wonder how soon before we see crazy, like, supplement ads that have completely blown this out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, even I think they got to walk back some of what Trump says. There's all this talk. And again, it depends on who's in, you know, interpreting it. But about what injecting Lysol or getting strong UV light under your skin or all this stuff. And I don't I, again, it depends on who's interpreting what he's saying. Right. But yeah, there's all kinds of kooky stuff. We just you can't jump the gun. So anyway, clinical trials right now on coconut oil and fish oils. So mm, interesting. I, I suppose in one sense, if you're already doing it, it just make you feel good, right? I mean, already got your little coconut fat going or you take your uh, uh, teaspoon of MCTs a couple times a day or whatever, and then there you go. It may help. 
Last one, and this is going to set up our topic of the day. This is, oh, to say this is new is an understatement. This is May um, 2020. So this isn't out yet, but this is from the latest uh, journal of strength conditioning research. Effect of competition frequency on strength performance of powerlifting athletes. So this is Josh Pearson and colleagues. Let's take a look here. What do they have to say? Powerlifting requires athletes to achieve the highest possible total, quote unquote, in the squat, bench, and deadlift. Athletes com- compete multiple times per year. However, it is not well understood how often powerlifting athletes should compete to facilitate maximal strength performance. So they looked at people over a 12-month period, 563 men and 437 women. So that's nice uh, sample, uh, both sexes. Uh, the guys were 28 years old and about 200 pounds. The women were 31 years old and about 150 pounds. So, you know, these are reasonable numbers, I guess. These aren't gigantic individuals, but, you know, uh, they, they're bigger than the average reference male and female. So they, they took their totals is what they're looking at. They didn't I, – I don't have any breakdown of individual, you know, uh, lift, like just bench or just squat or whatever. But they just ran Pearson correlations. Um and the bottom line here, results demonstrate greater absolute strength at competition for all athletes uh, at competition two. So a 5.1% higher total uh, at your second meet, apparently, of the year. For females, absolute strength was greater at competition five compared to competition one. So, Wow. Um, but then they sort of sum up the bottom line here is the upper limit seems to be overall for powerlifters about four per year. But again, to me, this looks like there's a real gender difference. Uh, I guess my question to you, Phil, is does that compute with you that women could compete more often and get away with it or even improve? Yeah, I think we see that. I mean, in my gym, the women seem to be able to compete more. They recover faster. They make small progress a little quicker, depending on uh, how advanced they are, of course. I mean, I think some more advanced women, you're talking, you know, two, three times a year as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to is what you can recover from and also what you can make notable progress from. I mean, what's the point in doing five meets if you're doing the same list at every meet? In my opinion, yes. No, I get it. Not worth it. So, I mean, we got to have no matter male or female, we got to have time to actually do some progress. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think in in general, I've seen women are able to compete a little more often. Mm -hmm. So, do you think that's a gender difference, or are they using a little bit less load, or something else going on? I'm just curious. Uh, I mean, of course, there's less load, but I mean, yeah, relative to their size, I mean, right pretty pretty big especially some ladies i have so uh man i don't know i mean it could just be it could be their their ability to recover joint wise i mean and things like that i mean i I, in general i hear my ladies harp less about their joints hurting and things like that i i mean i don't know i'm no scientist i can't tell you what's going on so yeah but maybe estrogen. I always think about estrogen. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking of, but I don't want to talk out of my ass. No, know? I know. I hear you. I mean, because we're all speculating, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is a correlation, right? This is not cause and effect. Yeah. This is just they're just looking for trends here, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the men did trend up 5% in their second meet. Um, yeah. 
And the women, 12% at meet five compared to meet one. So 12%, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so good call, though, about the how advanced. Because we've had episodes before where Phil was just in this valley for a month, <laughs> yeah. you know, after some peak lift. Because it's just okay. devastating. You know? Yeah. So. Okay, well, again, I thought that might set up the topic because if people are going to start a new training cycle or start picking an event, I mean, think about these women. If the ones that are competing five times a year, that's like every other month almost. You know, that's a – and I agree. I mean, I'm not sure why you would do that unless you just want to like emotionally just feel more uh, like a war-scarred veteran and just really, you know, get in there and just get used to it. But – I think the same thing – I used to think the same thing with bodybuilding is why am I going to compete again if I'm still 190 pounds? Like I want to yeah. I want to compete at 196 next time, you know, or something yeah. like that. And, um, I, yeah, you'd think you would lose motivation unless you were just in this sort of I just want to get my feet wet and get really comfortable, you know, with the meat environment, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I think you can make that argument for – I call it just simulation training. Like, if someone has a really hard time keeping their shit together during a meet, then, like Phil has talked about, doing more meets is probably going to be better. But once you kind of get a handle around that and it's not that big of a deal, then you probably don't need to to keep doing it over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose not every meet has to be your ultimate PR main goal for the year. Like, their concept of warm-up meet and whatnot, right? All right, let's go to break. When we come back, I've got some questions for the guys as far as starting a new training cycle. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform 
our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. It's Mike and Phil and Lonnie, and we're talking about starting a new cycle. Well, training cycle, that is. Um, <laughs> uh, Phil, let's start with you because, I mean, let me let me actually ask you a pre-question. Is it time? Is it allowed for you to reopen? When When is your state going to nope. actually o- allow you to even open your doors? God, I don't know. Is it me? Because um, I'm getting conflicting uh, reports on this, but some people are saying in two weeks. So not next week, but the week after, May 3rd or something like that. And then I just read something that, like, we won't be normal here until mid-July. So as far as groups gathering and things like that. So uh, we'll see. I'm hoping for two weeks from now. Okay. But, uh, like, right now it's up in the air. We really don't know. So that's kind of – we're stuck between kind of a rock and a hard place. Figuring out I'm opening as soon as I can. So that's what I keep telling people. Yeah. As yeah, I'm told, I'm allowed. Frustrating for everybody. So, yeah. Mike, you're in a different situation, but how about that pre-question for you? Like, when are you comfortable opening up? I mean, you're talking about a part of your own home, aren't you? I mean. Yeah. So I have the garage that's converted off to a gym, but I still get a car in there. It takes a little work now with the freezer full of water and stuff. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then for just hands-on work, I just do it in my my living room and meet with clients, and they need hands-on work or testing or, or whatever. Yeah, it's just out of my house, so I don't know. I'm mean, probably just waiting. Minnesota is supposed to open stuff up on the third, okay. but we haven't seen a huge spike in hospital admissions either, and they haven't announced anything about it. So I have a a gut feeling they're trying to meet with businesses to figure out what order they're going to open things up. Uh, another employee of ours, she works in Colorado. She said they're opening stuff up in a couple of weeks, but their peak they believe was actually happened back in March. So I'm guessing Minnesota is just kind of waiting to see what happens with a few other States. It'll be before them and kind of go from there. I mean, the pro and the con is that, it, you know, the good part is it's just, sort of one-on-one so it's not a big group interaction or or anything like that and we've been closed the entire time i haven't had anybody over or anything um so i don't know just kind of waiting to see what goes on yeah i can imagine people like you you could essentially 
start having, you know, the occasional client. And I mean, who really knows or cares? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's practically a visitor. Um, so it's just sort of a unique, a unique setup. One thing I will say, maybe you guys disagree with this because I'm a, I'm a little paranoid, I think, and, and critical of things. But uh, I heard uh, somebody use the analogy of a burning building, and they're like, "Listen, if there's flames raging out the windows, just because they're not going up, they're not getting worse, doesn't mean we march people back in the building, right?" So, in other words, oh, things are leveling off. But you know, yeah. if your state's leveling off at eight thousand cases a day, that's not the same thing as a plateau at eight cases per day. So, I mean, I think we need to think about that. I understand the huge pressure to reopen stuff, but at the same time, um, I can almost guarantee you're going to see continued, if if not a, a nationwide like second wave, you're going to see a regional you know hot spots crop up when people try to reopen because by definition. They're going to be in each other's proximity. Again, that's my bias. I know people are have all kinds of opinions on this, and, and there's no easy answer. But I just think just because you're plateaued, Mike, you're always talking about linear versus curvilinear yeah. responses and stuff. Just because you're, like, humming along, if, it's, um, if you're humming along at a deadly risk – well, that's different than if you're humming along at a, at a low risk. So there's all this talk about how do we safely reopen. I don't think there's any way to 100% safely reopen. Again, it no. depends on what you're doing. Um, but in fact, let's get to that. That kind of question number one, Phil. Um, you said, you know, basically it's it's time if they when they let you reopen. What would be the tips you would have so people come back in your gym? What are you gonna What are you gonna do with them just for like from a just from a safety and you know. Uh, cleanliness kind of perspective what's your advice to them when they come in do the things we all should have been doing before we this happened mm-hmm. you know wash your hands <laughs> you know yeah. don't cough on people you know uh simple things like that i mean wipe things down when you're done yeah uh you know we've got bottles of we got clorox wipes and bottles of freaking like denatured alcohol and stuff that you can put on things uh, use yeah. them yeah, uh, <laughs> just stuff like that. I mean, I think I think a lot of this can can be combated in, in a in an atmosphere that's not loaded with people. Like it'd be hard at like a concert or you know where you're just forced to be right on top yeah. of each other, or even a commercial gym where there's 150 people in there at once or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're all bouncing back and forth. But in a place like mine, you know, we can easily keep it to 10 or 20 in a very large space, and you know, you don't have to be right on top of each other. So yeah. I mean. That'd be my thing. I mean, just 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 wash your hands, and if you're sick, don't come. Which my people do a good job with, anyways. Uh, things like that. Just be empathetic and considerate of others. Mm-hmm. So, well, are you way. are you going to have people like once they're done with their squatting, it's up to them to wipe down the bar. It's like you used it, you wipe it down. You know. That yeah, kind and that's kind of what we've done. So okay. I mean, it's just like here, here you go. And a lot of my people will like wipe a bar before they use it and wipe a bar after they use it. Yeah. And then it's just double done. And then, you know, right. just in case the person that came before you forgot. But uh, things like that. Right. It's actually not that big a deal. I mean, you all, it's already gym etiquette to put your weights away, for God's sake, yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, take the weights, wipe everything down before you put it away, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about things like spotting each other and all that kind of stuff. I suppose it might be good to have, like, a designated spotter so you don't have, like, yeah. eight different people spot you throughout the day, you know. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But this is going to differ, of course, from a big box gym, 
right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. now it's it's worth saying just because you know these people doesn't automatically mean that they're free of all diseases, you know? Yes. You can like someone be like, oh, no, he's fine. I know him. No, that's not exactly how it works. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works. Like, this isn't a character judgment. <laughs> Uh, but uh, how about you Mike as far as is it time to emerge Um, you know do you agree with your state's dead I mean you're right in Minnesota there's every state's going to be regionally different Um, what tips for safety or what are you going to tell people when they come back to you you know that kind of stuff yeah I mean luckily here like for the past seven years anytime anyone even enters the gym or does anything i just have a separate bathroom downstairs and we have them use like HIPAA cleanse it's what like surgeons use to scrub in so we've done that since we've basically started uh mostly because my mom and my sister are nurses and what i realized was that man you can try really hard to keep stuff clean and obviously that's a definite good thing to do but you just think about your hands and how your hands are touching everything i'm like if i can disinfect people's hands and have that stay active for you know in theory up to several hours after probably going to reduce you know potential spread of stuff uh again no guarantee but yeah in terms of stuff opening up again it i don't know it'll be interesting because even like we're okay to walk around here like we haven't been completely quarantined to our house which is nice Uh, and even then you see some people i was talking on the phone to uh, actually don russin the other day and this lady was yelling at me to like go home and work at home. <laughs> I'm walking by, and I'm like, I'm just walking by, talking on my phone. It wasn't really that loud. It wasn't like in a big area. There wasn't tons of people around or anything like that. So, yeah. um, I think just the, like you said, the interactions will be very interesting um, because everyone's going to have their own sort of personal tolerance. So even if Let's say they give you the green light. Oh, let's all just go back to normal, which is probably not going to happen. But let's say it does. That doesn't resolve the issue of someone may still think they need to keep six to ten feet away from somebody else. And you don't know that. And then you happen to walk too close to someone. And I think there's going to be a period of time with just weird interactions with other people that you're not aware of. And I think at some point they'll have to kind of gradiate the exposure because they don't want to overwhelm you know hospitals and that type of thing either you know some other countries have already seen kind of a second wave and and that show up because it's the catch-22 if you do a really good job of presenting it and reducing the burden on hospitals which you definitely have to do now how do you kind of get out of that without getting back into the problem you're trying to get around Right. right and people can't stay in their house the rest of their life either so at some point you have to do something so i think it's it's a pretty difficult situation until you get some type of testing uh which hopefully we're getting more and more of but until then you you don't know you don't know Mm -hmm. you know someone may have symptoms okay stay home but what if they have the antibody what if they're not really contagious so that's what's hard yeah. Yeah. They're asymptomatic and you're like, hey, I feel right. great. And then they're spreading it all over the right. gym. Right. Uh, yeah. You're in a unique situation, Mike, even tighter than Phil's in that you're literally like one on one. I got to think when it comes to larger gyms, like I'm going to have to give this some thought as, as to when mm-hmm. I go back yeah. to Pep's gym, you know, especially because I have a, a pretty decent setup in my in my frickin basement. Um, yeah. But there's going to be about a third of people, I, I'm guessing, this isn't a real number, it's not evidence-based, my opinion, 
but about a third of people are going to be very tentative. Even when they swing the doors of restaurants open, mm-hmm. they're not just going to fill up. I think that's delusional, right? Oh, they're, yeah. You're gonna, oh, yeah. People are very paranoid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Commercial gyms are already or were already just a, a Petri dish of oh, cess. Oh, so, <laughs> And now, you know, so, I mean, you have to realize that. And, you know, it's, it may not be the safest place to go. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, my gym is very grungy. And although that has a certain appeal, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure that appeals right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I saw like Marriott's doing a bunch of stuff. Airlines have put out stuff about what they're doing. You know, like if you're a bigger gym and you have, you know, literally like hundreds of people going through your doors. Do you have to show some type of new cleaning process before you open and what you're doing for that continually since you've got so many people coming through and sweating and everything else and yeah. coughing and I don't know. Yeah. And how now now that you're bringing it up, a lot of the stuff we're just going to have to work through because let's say they do temperature checks at the door, but someone just took a bunch of thermogenics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what if they're slightly warm because, you know, they're pumped up and they're, uh, you know, wired shitless? I don't know. It's just, just funny. Just funny. Go home. No. Right. <laughs> Confounding variable there. Uh, yeah. Let's get to the fun stuff then, what this is mostly about. Phil, um, you got people that are coming back after dabbling at home, you know, I mean, I know you did the library checkout thing and a library of strength and all that, but what are you going to assess, you know, or screen them for, or how do you get them ready? How are you looking at their next training cycle? We'll take a month and ease back in no matter what, because they haven't been able to train how we normally train. Okay. So we'll back everything off. Even right now, just because, General life is a lot more stressful now than it is for normally for everyone. I mean, and you can't ignore that. Even even now, I have them backed off to what we normally do. So we're not even they're at home. They're not pushing it as hard as we could. I've I've backed everything off ten percent or so, and we're just getting working, and knowing that that will keep us just fine. I mean, we're not really looking at massive progress right now. We're looking to maintain um, because with every with all the stress levels being high, I don't. You know, people losing jobs, worrying about money, worrying about this virus. It's not a time for us to push it 100%. I mean, it'd just be stupid of us. So we'll continue to back off and just, okay, let's see where you're at. And then then slowly ramp them up to get used to regular training again and then and then come back at it. So if you honestly look at it from the day we open to next meet, I'd like to have 16 weeks. You know? Okay, yeah. So I think that's pretty like – um almost like standard X fizz too. You know, you do, you go through a sort of a general conditioning phase before you start getting into a strength or power specific mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, yeah, the, the disaster would be that the gym bro comes back and, you know, he's so eager that he just that he hurts himself. It. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if we look at this as a positive, just cause my people like to push it so hard. Hell, this might do a bunch of them some good having a nice break <laughs> you know they'll come back it's like my joints feel better than they have in years yeah, <laughs> yeah great yeah good so, so you know like the sky the sky in los angeles i hear is clear and blue now you know it's the same yeah. thing it's the same thing with your joints and your people you know watch exactly. you know watch a bunch of uh, world records be made as soon as things get back to normal because <laughs> uh, everybody who's young enough to be in their prime they had this month off <laughs> All yep. fresh and ready to do it. Um, 
What about you, Mike? Assessments or anything? I, I, I know you like to monitor all t- kinds of stuff. Are you? What are yeah. you looking at? Uh, I mean, the good part, I mean, I've been pretty blessed. Like most of my online clients have stayed, which has been great. Um, so I have the ability of changing their training as stuff opens up. Or even now, I've been looking at um, May, first, second week of May, you can start to get some equipment and stuff in, it looks like, for stuff that was on back order. Um, so just, you know, rewriting stuff. And like Phil said, the biggest thing I'm worried about is a couple clients that if their gym opened tomorrow, they would be there at like seven in the morning, like the first person in. And I know they're going to go bait batshit crazy, which I don't <laughs> want them to do. Um, so you can look up some stuff from uh, Tim Gabbett, who's got some writing about a load spike, right? So if you if you have a more advanced athlete, one of the biggest things that can contribute to injury is paradoxically going from a period of very low load to a high load. So normally I only run into this if someone takes a vacation and they just do nothing. And then they come back and they were at maybe four or five sets uh, per exercise before they left and they try to go right back into that. Well, technically they didn't have really any loading for an entire week. So going from basically zero loading to a moderate or even higher loading, massive differential, right? And there's some pretty good data he presents that uh, that's a, a risk for injury. So that's the thing I'm trying to avoid, right? So as soon as their gym opens, not only are they going to be probably doing different exercises, they're probably going to be doing a higher load and volume than they potentially can be protected against. So just trying to you know, walk them back into that, you know, okay, let's just start, you know, two or three sets. Let's just, you know, ease our way back into it. We don't need to, to rush and add a ton of volume right away and, and risk a potential injury. You haven't done it for a while. So, you know, jumping right up to a high volume is probably not going to even be that much more beneficial from your gains or anything else. Right. Yeah. I tend to look at, um, that differential in load as sort of a percent increase, like in volume, especially like, so for me, it's like, I'm used to, I've been doing like 25 reps, but if I do 40, like, you know, because, cause I'm back in the gym and I'm just awake and I'm listening to metal music or something. That's a gigantic increase. I don't know what that is, like a 40 or something percent increase. That's a gigantic load increase. Yeah. So you got to be careful with that stuff. I mean, are you looking more closely at HRV in these guys then? Is that one way you might? Yeah do it yeah so i look at the they report their volumes of what i have programmed and then pretty much everybody does daily hrv 60 70 percent of them i have aura and sleep data so i if i think they're gonna get really crazy then i tell them okay send me your hrv each day because i want to see kind of what's going on and how they're reacting to it um that also works good for taper so i have a more advanced athlete so i told her she wanted to do some crazy CrossFit Metcon on Friday. No, Saturday, today. So I said, okay, if, if you're really good and follow the taper and your HRV recovers back to where we think it should and you feel good, then you get to do your little crazy CrossFit Metcon on Saturday. <laughs> okay. If not, yeah, you're going to have to wait because I don't want to add just another crap load of stress on, on top of you and then have you start a new cycle based off of that. So. So she was really good, and I don't know. She's doing some crazy CrossFit thing I wrote up for her today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can see people just focusing on general conditioning, just getting back under some moderate weights, keep an eye on volume so you're not, you know, like, oh, my God, a, you know, a 48% increase in volume. That's just a, that's a bit much. Yeah. 
you don't need to go you don't need to go that crazy i mean you're probably gonna have some doms just from lack of exposure to it and you know so you don't need to go crazy yeah yeah i've been finding myself i got real sore i was just benching two and a quarter i did like one or two singles with 275 i know you parlors are laughing but i'm ruined you know and i'm like oh my god i'm so detrained <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to push big numbers by any means, but you know these spot checks. Sometimes I'm like, oh, oh God, <laughs> you know, like the the huge drop in volume because I'm just not putting in the volume. I'm just, I, I mean, as far as like total number of reps and stuff, like the way Phil yeah. used to talk about dose of iron, you know, as in like weight times reps, like total volume. It's it's just not there. Uh, maybe that's my yeah. fault. I actually did more straight bar bench press now in the last five weeks than I've done in the previous five years. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know, normally if I do that, I'll use dumbbells. Um, but I was like, oh, okay. Ah. So I just did the old school, started off the Delorme three by 10, you know, just yeah. get some good volume. I've also moved my grip in probably four inches more narrow. So I actually have a lot more tricep activation now, which feels good and weird at the same time mm -hmm. it's amazing how much you change your grip even a little bit you just everything just feels like you're starting over but I'm like oh, i wasn't that high anyway so i'm you know kind of starting over just adding more volume went up to four sets of 10 to 12 uh, last week so yeah. yeah little progress yeah you know one thing i noticed um this was probably uh, just a couple of years ago but increases in volume sometimes it's it's better for me personally instead of doing more instead of like moving from three sets of 10 to three sets of 12 just do a fourth set you know oh totally uh, just yes. more sets not more reps in fact next week i i tabled it for now but there's a study specifically mentioning uh training to volitional fatigue basically training to failure versus doing the same number of reps fresh and we'll talk about that next week uh because you know the old what you would want to believe almost is that Arnold thing from pumping iron, right? It's the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th rep that makes you grow, you know, that makes a champion. Um, maybe, but does science say that? Is there something about training to absolute failure that's required? Or is it just back to, again, the total dose of weight times reps, you know? Um, anyway. I always just think a quality work, too. You know, and we can argue, we'll talk about the study next week, but... If I do one more set or have most of my clients do one more set and cut like some of their big lifts, you know, one or two reps away from failure or sometimes even more than that, like the amount of high quality work I can get them to do is higher, right? So especially if strength is their priority or even a mix of strength and hypertrophy, my bias is the more higher quality work I can get them to do, the better off they're going to be. Yeah. I played with that once when I was very young. I think I mentioned it years ago on the show, but uh, when I when I was a you know gym peon, um, work front desk kind of guy, bathroom cleaner, that kind of stuff. Obviously, I was in the gym all day, and during uh, dead periods, like at the top of every hour, I would just go do like a triple with two seventy five in the squat. Like at the time, that wasn't heavy for me, but. It, I was so fresh each time I walked up to the bar, and the next day I was ruined. Now, it's partly because yeah. I think I ended up with, like, a, you know, 18 reps completed or something. But, yeah, there's something about the freshness that might play in there. Uh, the last question, Phil, is how would you choose a contest for someone? I mean, sort of in light of that research we just looked at where multiple um, – 
competitions a year might be helpful. I mean, I'm thinking about like when do you start the countdown? Like what do you think? And I know you said a month just for general conditioning back into it, but how would you help someone choose their next contest or is there nothing special about right now? Yeah, like we talked about earlier, be, it, it depends on, on where they're at in their cycle. If they're, if they're new new to this, generally new to this, and I'm not talking age or anything, but just training age, and they, they need more meats under their belt, then we might pick one pretty quick. Um, mm-hmm. If they're one of my more advanced lifters, we're going to take our time and pick one out that, that, that fits a schedule, you know, where we have the, the proper amount of weeks to get ready. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just, I mean, uh, yes, it, percentages are percentages that's neat to say but they're not they're not <laughs> when somebody's squatting 315 and somebody's squatting 900 you know we need time to get brian ready to squat 900 yeah you know and it's just it's, it's months you know it's months to you know maybe he could go do it tomorrow but the chances of him being injured are very great compared to where if we we prepare for that yeah yeah You're physically and mentally ready um so yeah, that's the biggest thing. It depends on you know who they are and what they are. So I have a lot of people that just need the new crew. They just need more meats, no matter what we can do. So we're just gonna find one, <laughs> you know. And they're itching to get out there and do it. So and most of my more advanced people are like, yeah, they want to lift. They they want to lift just as bad, but they're they're more worried about doing well. So and less worried about just getting. They've already got the the experience so they know how to handle a meet so we're gonna we're gonna take our time and pick out one that fits us the best mm-hmm. so what about travel or how the meet is run i mean this sounds paranoid but oh that's huge like there's certain meets that i just won't go to anymore uh okay yeah and certain directors it's like okay we won't do that anymore but we've been traveling a lot more now than than in recent years mm-hmm. so and a lot more meets away from home but uh yeah. and they're also fun it turns it more into I don't know. It turns it more into a sporting event. Oh, it does. Okay, we're traveling. We're doing this, and there's there's a more importance laid on it. Like I'm laying down money to travel. I'm laying down money for a flight, hotel, this right. and that. I better get a lot my more ass skin ready. in the game. Yep, <laughs> a lot more skin in the game that you don't <laughs> waste that time and money. Yep. So, uh, and that's another reason I enjoy those. Well, and but, you know, uh, it's external validation too. It's not just the local gym. You know, uh, yeah. not that those co- competitions aren't cool too, but it's good to go. But I guess I'm thinking even along the lines of as we emerge back into this steadily infected world at whatever level we're at, um, you know, are you going to put six people in a car? Well, actually, your people may be three. Or are the spotters and the loaders, are they going to have masks on? Uh, or is that all just paranoia, you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think. I don't think it will. I think in the powerlifting community, at least, things are going to bounce back pretty quick. And, I mean, it's not – even spotters and stuff is not that hands-on of a sport. They grab the bar. Yeah. yeah. You know, they don't grab you. Um, at a real meet, you're going to have spotters on the bar. And, yeah, there's a back spotter there kind of just in case you fall over. But it's not often that they have to grab you. Um, the guys that are on the bar handle it. And, yeah, as long as your back spotter is not, like, coughing in your ear and stuff. Uh, <laughs> Right. You know, I think, uh, I think you know, powerlifters are seen as big, big meatheads, but across the board, they're not the dumbest people in the world usually. So uh, I think people will be smart about it, and the meat directors generally know what they're doing. So Yeah. Like you said, with the gym, extra precautions and stuff. Wipe down the, yeah. the you know, freaking yeah, bar. Exactly. You know? Maybe you'll see the deadlift bar wiped down more and stuff like that in the other yeah. bar. So, yeah. um, 
but I don't think it'll be that huge of a change. Well, with all the powerlifting, uh, the popularity of you know big powerlifter beards, I don't know how you wear masks at all. So <laughs> tuck it in there. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, re- rely on the the beard microbiome to protect you. Yeah. You know, you go. I got a natural <laughs> mask. <laughs> uh, that's a joke, everybody. That's a joke. Um, what about you, Mike? As far as you've got competitive people. Um, are are you going to factor in ever, anything? Or are you just going to say, listen, don't compete for the next three months? Or how are you going to help them choose contests and whatnot? Yeah, it's it's hard, right? I mean, so I've got a an athlete who's looking to do an obstacle course race to to qualify, and we had everything set up, and then the date for that got changed, obviously, and now. I have a bad feeling. I talked to him about it too, that the new date will probably get changed again also. So, and stuff like that, where it is a little bit time sensitive. Um, we've just left him at a pretty good, you know, he's pretty ready, you know? So if something happened and they said, okay, you've got, you know, only four weeks, like he'd be good to go. Right. So we just kind of left him middle of the road, kind of, just cruising, working more on strength, making sure aerobics, you know, base is still there, doing some stuff on the rower, now doing some more specific, you know, trail runs, getting some elevation in so soft tissue will be ready for that. So okay. he's in a, a pretty good spot. You know, we didn't want to blast him with too much fatigue with everything else going on, especially with an, an unknown coming up. And I think it probably would have made a, a huge difference either way. So the biggest thing is just trying to figure out, you know, do you have to go sooner or later? If you have to go sooner, okay, we're going to kind of air, try to stay about yeah, four-ish, maybe five-ish weeks out, you know, and we'll probably be, be pretty good at that point. It's enough. You can still do training. You can still accumulate a little fatigue, but, you know, we're not going to go super crazy on it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's good advice for listeners, right? Like, stay in yeah. striking distance. You know, where a four to six week peaking cycle could get you there. You know, I mean, depending on what kind of uh, meat, like not a 900 pound squat, you're not going to do that in, no. with a four week ramp up, but some yeah. kind of striking distance. Like obstacle course racing, the, the location may even change, you know, so the stuff that we were preparing for by knowing the location and what it was going to look like, you know, that may be different too, you yeah. know, so trying not to be super kind of, I guess you can be hyper specialized for that, which is kind of an oxymoron, but, um, being a little bit more vague on, on purpose. Yeah. I think from the bodybuilding side of things, basically might as well just pick a competition in, I think in 2021, because I mean, you can, everybody can take some time unless you're just, no, I just can't think of a good reason to really, you know, um, be in a room with 50 other naked people (laughs) backstage, (laughs) You know, um, yeah, with compromised immune systems, most likely. No, exactly. Right. Strung out. Yeah. yeah. Overtrained. But the point is, yeah, I mean, you're it's going to it takes a good year to make a appreciable difference in muscle mass anyway. I mean, unless you're, you know, doing a heavy cycle of, you know, anabolics or something. Um, so, yeah, I, maybe there's some more patience that can be had there. I don't know. You know, like what we were saying before with Phil, like you don't want to compete just because it's time to compete. You'd like to bring yeah. something to the table something new to the table i guess but yeah a lot of that with you know, i have one athlete who's competing for physique is just the thing i look at with her is just checking in on her mental state you know because some people if they don't have anything on the horizon or don't have any context they get a little bit too far away <laughs> 
So just trying to make, you know, some markers of we still ever sending pictures, you know, do body weight and just kind of, you know, not getting, you know, too crazy. And she does a very good, good job with that too. So it's, yeah, I think if you tell someone you're not going to compete at all until next year, I just think of the old ads of the muscle tech Lee priest ads and some people get a little too far, <laughs> yeah, too far away if it's too far out. No, it's true. Like sometimes in bodybuilding, you get these guys that they're, it's easier to be in the off season, you know, cause you're just overeating yeah. and, um, not like force feeding, but just generally overeating. You keep your body fat up, whatever. And then they never do, <laughs> they never yeah. do compete. <laughs> You know, year, bro. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, for reference, all my all the summer conferences are all canceled for me that like the, yeah. you know, the ASN event and IFT and a lot of these ones, they've gone virtual. Um, like I said, I was surprised. I even heard a couple of them in July were just. Um, but again, that's a that's a far cry. Mike, you and I, we've been to these conferences. And, you know, when there's thousands of people in one oh. giant conference center, that's I can see why those aren't aren't going to happen. And that's a far cry from a power meet where there might be just some families there or something. Yeah. Yeah. ISSN, I think now is September, I believe. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I was just going to say, that's one thing. I mean, we're probably not going to have a lot of a choice on picking a meet close because right now, like everything's canceled. And even from a meet director standpoint, you know, when it opens up, you're not going to be like, okay, we're going to have a meet in two weeks. Yeah, and nobody's going to come. Be right. <laughs> so I mean, they're going to have to time it out anyways. Yeah. So I mean, by the time we get competitions, it's you know we're probably going to have to wait twelve weeks anyways. So yeah, true. Uh, <clears throat> one of my little indicators I use is uh, for music is concert scheduling because they're uh, oddly enough in a similar boat. Where if you're a musician, you have to try to figure out like, okay, when is it going to be okay for you know hundreds mm-hmm. and thousands of sweaty people to be bumping in? to each other and a bunch of artists now have scheduled out 2021 is actually filling up now because a couple of them said just just screw it we're not doing anything this year we're just going to suck it up yeah Yeah. you know we're going to start our tour next you know january and hope for the best because if we pick september and and we have to reschedule again Again, for too early now we're really hosed and so now all the dates you know if you need a facility are filling up for next year now too yeah yeah it's a it's a good point about i don't know i'm very curious let's put it this way what's going to happen to stuff like stadiums like i'm you know for the foreseeable future you know um shit (laughs) how are we gonna have empty stadiums sitting there for two years or or more I don't – that's going to be crazy. I mean, there may be people being like, Lowry, forget it. You're way too paranoid. Maybe. I, I, I just want to see what's going to happen because I feel like there is, in fact, a new normal. It's not let's get back to normal safely. There no. is no back yeah. to normal safely, um, yeah. at least not the old normal anyway. Yeah. And then I wonder about the U- U.S. because the U.S. tends to be so litigious of – if you're the head organizer of said sports event exactly. or said big concert and, you know, God forbid somebody gets gets sick, are you potentially liable, liable yeah. in a weird way because you signed off on the event and said, let's do it? Yeah. I was thinking about that with the university students, too. Like, I'm actually yeah. a fan of a delayed start um, and, you know, doing classes like every prof should at least be partly online. That way, if we have to retreat, we can, right. you know, with like a second yeah. wave thing. Um, yep. But at the very least, I got to think these kids are going to have to sign one hell of a waiver, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you send your kid to university and, and then they're on a respirator or something like that. I don't. I think I mentioned that last week, and I don't want to sound alarmist, but 
these universities have thousands of people. They're like small cities, mm-hmm. and people are milling around. And so, how are we going to deal with that litigiousness? Exactly, Mike. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, anyway, okay. Well, I think that addresses the question about emerging. You know, people are trying to emerge, and a stepwise approach makes sense to me. Um, but obviously, that's going to have an effect on what what everybody's goals are. You know, and hopefully, mm-hmm. you've got a coach like Mike or Phil who can you know, help you pick and choose and do something rational uh, instead of the, you know, the tens of thousands of gym bros who might just, you know, rush back into the gym and (laughs) tear their, I don't, biceps. (laughs) (laughs) Tear their triceps off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To look at when gyms open to see if there's a spike in injuries would be an interesting study. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be lots of data to mine for sure. Yeah, I wanted to tell the the contest is over that I was throwing for. Oh, you got a winner! Training, I got two winners. So Ashley sells, and Nate had. I think it's it's H A D D. So I'm guessing it's had. Um, and Nate has been a listener from the start. He's listened to us while on active duty and like uh, Iraq and oh, Afghanistan oh, wow. stuff like that. So yeah, he's he's, right he's a long time listener. So thank you everybody who signed up. I had lots of lots of videos sent to me. It was a tough choice, but uh, cool. yep, picked them last night. So, and I'm gonna get them going this weekend. That may be the wave of the future, man. You know, yep, more contests like that. Yeah, yep. So, all right, all right. We'll catch everybody next time. Yep. See you. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting 
supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.